You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Okay, Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Friday, October 1st, 2021, people. Cannot believe that we have already hit October 2021. We are a month into the college football season. And as we hit the biggest weekend of the college football slate, loaded Aaron Torres pod with both college football and college basketball. College football, we will preview the entire week five slate. Everything you need to know, everything that is going on in the most important weekend of college basketball or college football, excuse me, all the big games, Ole Miss and Alabama, Arkansas and Georgia, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, Kentucky, on and on and on and on and on. From there, we'll take a quick break. Actually, a lot of college basketball news over the last couple days. Five star guard Nick Smith commits to Arkansas we're going to talk about why that is so important for the Arkansas basketball program and we will talk about Jaden Bradley right before I got set to record here on Thursday evening Jaden Bradley commits to Alabama so a lot going on a lot to talk about let's get into the topic of the day and the topic of the day is boy oh boy oh boy do we have a great weekend of college football And it's interesting because I said it on my college football podcast, the college football betting show. If you're not subscribed, make sure to go find it. Uh, I said on the college football betting show on Thursday morning, this to me is unquestionably the biggest weekend in college football. And what separates it from the other big weekends is we're starting to realize what is at stake. We look back to week one, those games looked incredible on paper, Georgia Clemson, Miami, Alabama, UCLA, LSU. Fast forward a couple weeks, you start to realize, I don't know if any of those teams are any good. And so Georgia Clemson feels a lot different after what Clemson has looked like over the last three or four weeks. Uh, Same with Miami and Alabama, same with LSU, UCLA. And so now we're starting to get a feel for what is really at stake Who are the good teams? Who are not? Who is struggling? Who is legit? And who isn't? And so the first game, let's get into the entire slate. And the first game I'm going to talk about is 
I don't think it's an exaggeration to say maybe the most interesting game that we have had the entire college football season, and that is Ole Miss going to Alabama. As I said on the college football show, the lane train is pulling into town in Tuscaloosa, and just a fascinating game. A fascinating game because Ole Miss comes into this game with the number one scoring offense in college football. They are averaging a staggering, and this is staggering to me, 52.7 points per game. On top of that, the number one scoring uh, total offense with over 638 yards per game. And keep in mind, the last time they played, they basically called off the dogs in the fourth quarter against Tulane. What makes it extra interesting? Go back to last year. Remember that game. Ole Miss, you could argue, gave Alabama more trouble in their national championship run than any team in college football last year. Yes, the SEC championship game against Florida was closer. Yes, Florida fans, every time I say anything, it sounds like I'm being critical of your program. I'm just telling you, Ole Miss, from the beginning, put Alabama on skates in that game and was just very, 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 very lucky to hold on for dear life in last year's game they won 63 to 48 but it was a one possession game going into the fourth quarter before Ole Miss basically ran out of gas as it pertains to this game what I believe is exactly what I just said does Ole Miss are they able to dictate this game early and I think as it's 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 obvious, right? But I believe the first six, seven, eight minutes of this game will dictate how the 60 minutes overall of this game are played for one simple reason. Ole Miss, what they want to do, they want to score on you early and they want to make you continue to play catch up with them all game long. They want to put you behind the eight ball and then you're spending the whole game trying to keep up with them, trying to keep up with them, trying to keep up with them. And that is what they do better than anybody. 27, you go back to their three games this year. 27 nothing lead at halftime against Louisville. 37 points in the first half against Austin P. 41 against Tulane in the first half. Again, this is what they do. Now you can argue it's Tulane, it's Louisville, it's Austin P. But this is what the game is going to come down to. Can Bama get a couple stops early, get a couple scores early, get ahead of Ole Miss as it, uh, you know, on the scoreboard, make them play catch up, make them play your game, and make Lane Kiffin make some adjustments. In terms of the other things that intrigue me specifically, well, first of all, it goes back to what I just said about early game, all that stuff. Ole Miss is an incredible team running the football. And I, I know I've talked about it a lot this week. If you've listened to me, if you've listened to some of my work, everything that I've done, I've talked about this a lot. But we think of Ole Miss as this pass-happy Matt Corral, the Heisman Trophy leader, all that good stuff. Uh, and Matt Corral, by the way, in the betting markets is the Heisman Trophy frontrunner as we speak. But I bring it up because we think of Matt Corral as this pass-happy quarterback. Ole Miss is this pass-happy offense. They run the ball insanely well they rank fourth nationally in rushing yardage they are rushing for close to 300 rushing yards per game and when you look at this game that is a big question Alabama could not stop the run against Florida a few weeks ago can they stop the run against Ole Miss 
Because if they can, it's going to be a long night, and Lane Kiffin's going to leave Tuscaloosa with a dub. By the way, I didn't even mention the Lane Kiffin-Michael Wilbon fiasco. It's about three days old. I should mention it. It is obviously stupid. Lane Kiffin has obviously evolved, and I bring it up because as I'm talking about Lane Kiffin, I, I know for a fact that there are like 100, 120 college football programs that would love to have Lane Kiffin as their coach. So I'm not going to get into that. Uh, I would have if we did a daily show. Doesn't feel like I need to right here. Back to the game itself. But this is the big factor. Can Ole Miss run the ball on Alabama? Is Alabama's run defense going to be up for the challenge because they were not against Florida? And then what about Alabama's run offense themselves? We forget they could not run the ball against Florida either under three yards per carry. And I would worry if I was an Alabama fan going into this game, is my team going to be able to move the ball? It brings me to the final thing that I am looking for when it pertains to this game, and that's this. Is Ole Miss's defense actually improved? Or again, is this a team that has simply played Louisville, Austin P, and Tulane? Because if you go back to last year, Ole Miss, they were not very good on the defensive side of the football. They finished the year ranked 126th nationally in total defense. Only 127 teams played last year. So shout out North Texas, the Mean Green, the only team that had a worse defense than Ole Miss. But the question that you now have to peel back and the question that we will get answers to, and remember, I called this Show Me Something Saturday. On last episode of the Air Torres podcast, I called it Show Me Something Saturday. What we are going to learn really quick, Ole Miss, is this defense improved? Because right now they are giving up about half of the yardage that they gave up last year. Now, last year they played an SEC-only schedule. This year they have yet to play an SEC game. And so, again, we are going to learn a lot. I am fascinated to see how this defense holds up and, again, how this offense attacks uh, Alabama. I'll tell you, you guys have talked to me about it. You've tweeted me about it, all that good stuff. And I'll tell you, a lot of you are asking me, is it crazy that Ole Miss is a 14-and-a-half-point underdog? I'll be honest. I know it's square. I know it feels obvious. I know you all feel this way. I do think it's crazy that they're a 14-and-a-half-point underdog. Alabama did not look great against uh, Florida the, the other week. I know that game was in the swamp. But I could see this one being competitive. And it just comes down to two things. Can Ole Miss get any defensive stops at all? And two, are they going to run out of gas? Because, again, this is the problem that a lot of these mid-tier SEC teams, and it's no disrespect to the teams that I'm talking about, but it's one thing to do it for 30 minutes. It's another thing to do it for 60 minutes every single week, and it's the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Floridas that continue to have success in this league because they're just so deep with bodies that they can deal with any kind of issues that come up late in games. So that's going to be the fascinating thing from Ole Miss's perspective. If you're asking me for a final score, I'll say 41-38. We'll do 41-38 Alabama. They survive against Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss Rebels. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about the other big one in the SEC, noon Eastern. 11 local time in Fayetteville. That game is in Athens, so I don't know why I'm bringing up 11 local time in Fayetteville. But Arkansas travels to Georgia. Yes, even though I gave random central time zone uh, times there, uh, this game is at Georgia. This is a fascinating game. Another one where the point spread feels huge. Georgia was an 18.5-point favorite. It's down to 17.5 right now, and I will get into why. But I think with Arkansas, 
It is exactly what I just said with Ole Miss. This is the week where we find out not how good they are. They're a good team. They're a really good team. You don't go 4-0. You don't beat A&M. You don't beat Texas if you're not a good football team. But do you have the depth and bodies to week in and week out deal with the grind of SEC football, of Southeastern Conference football? And I bring it up because a couple things. One, I know A&M, not a great team right now. Uh, but the one thing A&M has, even though they, they, they haven't been great against the run, they are big, physical, and have NFL bodies up front along the line of scrimmage on the defensive line. And that's important because coming out of the A&M Arkansas game, Arkansas is pretty banged up. Uh, KJ Jefferson, their starting quarterback, barely played the second half of that game. Traylon Burks, their leading wide receiver, barely played the second half of that game. Sam Pittman says both are expected to play, but how healthy are they? Are they ready to go? What does it matter? What does it all mean in the bigger picture of this game? And how healthy is Arkansas? I think the other thing that you have to factor in with Arkansas, this is not a criticism. It is just a reality. They did a great job running the ball against Texas. It was insane. Seven and a half yards per carry in that game. Last week, they were not able to move the ball consistently and effectively against AM. Part of that, I think AM's a better team than Texas. Part of that, KJ Jefferson, the starting quarterback, got hurt. But I bring this up to say Arkansas won that game 20 to 10. So do the math. I'm not great at math, but that's two touchdowns, two extra points, 14 points, and then two field goals. The two touchdowns that Arkansas scored against Georgia, both were 40 plus yard plays. And this is going to be what is fascinating about this game. Can they break off big plays against Georgia, an elite defense in my opinion? And then on the opposite side, if they can't, can they sustain and maintain drives uh, throughout the game? That is what we will learn. We'll learn about the depth, the physicality, the week-in, week-out grind from Arkansas. I think we're going to learn a lot about Georgia, too. You already know what I'm going to do. You know what I'm going to say. Georgia was my preseason national championship pick. How about them dogs? All right, enough barking. But I would say with Georgia, listen, as much as I love that pick, you can peel back the layers and say, well, wait a second now. What do we really know about Georgia? Because coming out of week one, we thought Alabama was definitively the best team. Then they struggled against Florida. And I think a lot of people thought, is Georgia actually the best team? And probably with pretty good reason. They are currently 4-0. And they have destroyed everyone on the schedule, not named Clemson. They beat Clemson 10-3. They beat UAB 56-7. They beat South Carolina 40-13. They beat Vanderbilt 62-0. That's impressive. That is dominant, but also here are the facts. When you line up the offenses that Georgia has faced so far, they rank 79th, 116th, 121st, and 123rd nationally out of of 130 teams that are playing FBS football right now. Two of the 10 worst offenses in all of college football have gone up against Georgia, and to me, that's important. Because we are trying to figure out, is Georgia that good? Or are the teams that they played just that bad? Again, Clemson, 121st ranked offense in college football. Vanderbilt, 123rd ranked offense in college football. So you start to go down, and even that Clemson win, were, was Georgia that good? 
or is Clemson that bad? And even in that game, Georgia didn't score an offensive point. It's also worth noting, by the way, JT Daniels, once again, dealing with injuries coming into this game. I saw a report he might not play. I'm not going to bet on that. I'm not going to speculate on that, but he's pretty banged up. You have Stetson Bennett. You have somebody else as a backup in this game. It changes the dynamic of this game. In terms of my betting picks, by the way, all my betting picks at AaronTorresOnline.com. My betting picks are pretty straightforward. I like the under in this game. I think it's low scoring. I think it's physical. I'm not going to bet against Georgia at home, just like I'm not going to bet against Alabama at home. But when you start to look at this game, three scores, 17 and a half points feels like an awful lot. And I'll tell you, I like Georgia. They got a lot to prove this weekend. Speaking of a lot to prove, let's start to wrap up this week five college football preview. There might not be a team that has more to prove this weekend than the University of Michigan. They go to Wisconsin, noon kickoff, same time as Georgia, uh, Georgia, Arkansas. And you look at this game, and what I would say with Michigan, I said it, show me something Saturday. Michigan, this is your year. This is your window, Michigan. Ohio State stinks. Ohio State is not good this year. You're 4-0, but in the last game, what you showed me was, unfortunately, that I think you're the same old Michigan. You start out 3-0, you're moving the ball up and down the field, you're beating everybody's brains in, you beat a bad Washington team on national TV, everybody thinks you're awesome. Then you play Rutgers last weekend. And I think Rutgers is getting better under Greg Schiano. You go up 20-3 at halftime, and as I said on Wednesday's show, First four possessions, second half. Four straight three and outs for Michigan. Four straight three and outs, and you hold on to beat Rutgers 20-13 to in an ugly, sloppy game. And so now you're going on the road. It's your first road game of the season. And by the way, you talk about craziness in a point spread. You want to bet on this one, good luck to you. I'm not going to give you any advice. Now, I have an advice on a bet, but not the spread. It opened as a pick then it was Michigan minus one, then it became Wisconsin all the way down to Wisconsin as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, back to one-point favorite. Now they're a two-and-a-half-point favorite again. And it's because nobody knows what to expect from this game. But what would concern me if I was a Michigan fan, and I know a lot of you guys listen to this show, what would concern me if I was a Michigan fan? Jim Harbaugh is back to being Jim Harbaugh. He wants to run the ball. He doesn't want to stretch the field. He doesn't want to pass the ball vertically. And that is not just my opinion. It is a fact. I saw this stat, and it blew me away. Of... The teams in college football, again, I keep referencing it, 130 teams in college football. Michigan ranks 127th in pass attempts a game. So there's only three teams in college football that attempt fewer passes than Michigan. You, anyone want to take a guess as to who they are? Anybody? Anybody? You in the back? Ed, over there. You. Take, take, take a guess. Who you got? The three teams that attempt fewer passes than Michigan. In college football, in 2021, are Army, Navy, and Air Force. Yes, you heard that correctly. The three service academies that all play triple option football, that, by the way, rank first, second, third in rush attempts per game. They're the only teams that run the ball more than Michigan does and pass the ball less than Michigan does. I shouldn't say run the ball more but pass the ball less than Michigan. And so I look at this game. If you're betting on, on Michigan, this is what you're betting on. And I'm a Jim Harbaugh guy. I'm going to look stupid come Sunday morning. 
You're betting on Jim Harbaugh being able to beat, beat, beat Wisconsin by running right into the teeth of the defense and right into what they do best. And I just don't think it's going to happen. And so I look at this game, I'd be terrified if I'm a Michigan fan because this could be a vintage Harbaugh just choke job on the road in a game that if you're Michigan, this is a game you should win. You don't have to lose all the games that are important. There's no law that says that. But I would be mortified if I was a Michigan fan because your strength, the run game, goes directly into their strength and their your weakness their weakness on defense, the pass defense, you're not even going to try to exploit. Now, I don't love Wisconsin either. Graham Mertz, I've talked about him on this show, their quarterback, one touchdown, six interceptions this year. So I don't feel great. I would bet the under. I would even bet the first half under. That is my official pick of the weekend because I don't know how you could bet this game with these two, with this quarterback and Graham Mertz and that offense from Michigan. Mortifying game, but, you know, you talk about show me something Saturday – Michigan, man, it's on you, bro. Let's go. This is a game you're supposed to win. This is a game you're supposed to win. I would add, it doesn't really get much easier because Michigan State all of a sudden looks better than we realized. Penn State is awesome. Obviously, you've struggled against Ohio State. Maryland, pretty good. By the way, Maryland might be half decent. They're playing Iowa on Friday night. So I'm just telling you, Michigan, this is it. This is it, guys. It's go time for Michigan. Uh, a couple other games I want to get to. You know, you talk about a game that I have no feel for. It's Cincinnati-Notre Dame. And what I would say about Cincinnati-Notre Dame, first of all, I put it out there, if you listen to Monday's show, I mean, I gushed about Notre Dame. I mean, I really just went overboard, head over heels. You know the movie Overboard? It had nothing on that segment on Notre Dame. But the point I brought up was pretty simple. Since the start of the 2018 season, a span of... 42 games at this point, three seasons plus four games this year. Notre Dame is 37 and five. Their only losses, two to Clemson, which one came in the playoff, one came in the ACC championship game last year, one at Michigan, one at Georgia by six points, and Alabama in the playoff last year. So since the start of the 2018 season, they are 37 and five. Two losses to Clemson, one at Michigan, one at Georgia, one against Alabama. 24-game home win streak. Essentially, what you need to know, the last four and a half years, three and a half years, if you're not named Clemson, Alabama, or Georgia, you're not beating Notre Dame. So why am I bringing that up? It is because Notre Dame is an underdog at home against Cincinnati. And I think what it's reflective of is Notre Dame, they got that win against Wisconsin, but they struggled to move the football. I mean, they really struggled to move the football in that game. It's easy to forget. Two pick sixes sealed it. On top of that, they had a kick return for a touchdown. They finished with 248 yards of total offense. And so I look at this game. Good luck going up against that Cincinnati defense. Cincinnati, by the way, coming off a bye, rested, beat Indiana a few weeks ago. But even that Indiana game, they weren't that impressive. One, Indiana stinks. Indiana could have lost to Western Kentucky last week. Um, and so I look at this game, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if I like Notre Dame. I don't know if I like Cincinnati in terms of betting. I am just staying away. Let's rip through a couple other games that are of interest to me. First of all, let's go back to the SEC. This game is a fascinating one to me. Auburn at LSU, Saturday night, Tiger Stadium. And what's interesting about this game, I think we all think, oh, LSU stinks, whatever. 
LSU has won every game. They, they, these two teams play every year. LSU has won every game against Auburn at home in Baton Rouge since 1999. There are many of you listening that have never seen, have never lived to see Auburn win at Tiger Stadium, and I wouldn't feel great about betting on it this weekend. If you're going to bet this game, you know, Auburn doesn't even know who their quarterback is. Bo Nix, is it Bo Nix? Is it uh, TJ, uh, TJ Finley, the former LSU quarterback, by the way? So I expect a low-scoring game. And I'll tell you, I don't know what to make of this game because I'll say this for Auburn. I don't think they're great under Brian Harson. They don't have a quarterback. But they do the little things right, and I think that matters. They run the ball well. They're fundamentally sound on defense. And they don't give up big plays on defense. And I think that's an important part because LSU, most of their scores last week came against, they came on big plays for that defense. And with LSU, they can't run the ball. LSU cannot run the football. Against Mississippi State, they finished with 20, 63 yards rushing on 27 carries. That's under two and a half yards per carry. So this is a game I expect to be low scoring. You can't bet on Auburn because history says they don't win at Tiger Stadium. But I truly believe that this is a game that they can win. And LSU, I'm telling you, I watched the entire Mississippi State game last weekend. I learned nothing about LSU other than they're not a very good football team. Wrapping up, a couple other games. Um, first of all, SEC, speaking of LSU, Mississippi State. LSU beat Mississippi State last week. Mississippi State goes to Texas A&M. Not going to spend a ton of time on this one, but Texas A&M's really. And we all saw the Arkansas game. We all saw the frustration. The fan base is frustrated. I understand it. You're paying Jimbo Fisher $9 million a year, and I'm not saying you blame Jimbo Fisher for everything, but they can't pass the football. And because they can't pass the football, you know what else that means? They can't run the football because you can't stretch the field vertically. Everybody crams in the box, makes you beat them with the run. You take out one run from Isaiah Spiller, they average like two, two and a half yards per carry in that game. And so with Texas A&M, I think this entire season is ultimately going to come down to can they eventually at some point find a vertical passing game? The answer might be no. But if you can't, you're going to struggle against everybody. And I'll say this, Ole Miss plays, or Mississippi State, excuse me, they play real defense. They're not elite. They're not Georgia. But their defense is probably ahead of their offense. 43rd nationally in total defense. Uh, you look at just in terms of the SEC, they're actually pretty high up there. Uh, so... I am fascinated by this game. Texas A&M a seven-point favorite. I think this comes down by kickoff at open at nine and a half, if that tells you. Other big SEC game, last one. I'm not going to talk Missouri-Tennessee. I'm sorry. I'm not going to talk UConn-Vandy, by the way. UConn, two-touchdown underdog at Vandy. It probably says more about Vandy than it does about UConn. Uh, the last big SEC game, from my perspective, it is Kentucky hosting Florida. And I have flipped on Florida. I like Florida. They're an eight-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Normally, the game at Kroger Field, I would like Kentucky in this one. But I'll be honest, and Kentucky fans know what I'm going to say. You got to take care of the football. You got to take care of the football in this game. This is something I've talked about on this show. It is down to seven and a half, so the money is coming in on Kentucky. I like the weapons at Kentucky. Wandale Robinson's incredible. I know he was on one of the KSR podcasts this week. I heard it. It was awesome. Uh, you know, shout out to KSR, my former uh, crew over there. They do a great job covering Kentucky football. Wondell Robinson's a stud. But right now, Will Levis has to take care of the football as a quarterback. Will Levis 
awesome in game one against Louisiana Monroe. Since then, uh, not so good. Three touchdowns, four interceptions in the last three games. Two and three in the last two. And it's not like they were playing uh, Georgia and Alabama. They were playing Chattanooga and South Carolina. He's thrown for two touchdowns and three interceptions. So that one will be interesting. Um, you know, a couple other games that I want to wrap up with in this in this slate for college football. Uh, Clemson, I talked about him on Wednesday. Show me something Saturday. I'm just so fascinated. This is a, a program where every single kid comes to school to compete for national championships. They're out of the national championship race. They got to get right in a hurry if they want to compete for anything this year. Leading rusher Will Shipley is out for the next few weeks. Brian Brze, All-American caliber defensive lineman, is out for the season. What are they playing for, and how fired up are they to play? I should mention, by the way, Ohio State at Rutgers. Rutgers plays real defense. I don't know if they can score, but that one will not be easy. Uh, what else am I missing? Oklahoma. You guys know where I stand on Oklahoma. They're not very good. I would say Kansas State down to their third string quarterback. That probably helps Oklahoma. But listen, Oklahoma, a 10.5 point favorite on the road. That feels like a lot. I'm telling you, they cannot run the football. Got to get it all figured out this weekend. Would not be, if, be surprised if that score is close, low scoring, and competitive. Remember, Oklahoma has actually lost its last two games. Its last two, mind you, to Kansas State. They lost last year in Norman. The year before when they had Jalen Hurts, they lost 48, forget what it was, like 48-45 to Kansas State in Manhattan. All right, I think that's it for this segment. 28-minute preview of the weekend ahead. What more can he ask for? Torres delivering. That's what I want to do. I want to take a break. I want to come back. And I want to talk about a little college basketball. How about that? Didn't think I'd be talking college basketball today. But Nick Smith commits to, Tex uh, to Texas. Excuse me. He commits to Arkansas. To me, this is a mega commitment, top 10 prospect. Uh, Eric Musselman, again, continues to crush on the recruiting trail, continues to show just what he is capable of and what his staff is capable of. On top of that, uh, Alabama gets a commitment from a five-star kid named Jaden Bradley. Nate Oates continues to roll. Friends of the Aaron Torres pod, Eric Musselman and Nate Oates. We will talk about them both. Let's take a quick break. All right, everybody, I am back, good to be back, good to be back, and one thing I've told you over the last couple months is this, I said, look, as we transition in the fall, I said, this show where I talk a lot of college hoops, I said, we're going to be talking some college basketball, we're going to be talking less college basketball and a lot of college football as we transition into football season. Not that I don't love college hoops, I would talk college hoops 365 days a year if I could. But there really isn't that much to talk about in August and September, right as college football is ramping up, and so we're going to transition to mostly college football. But what I told you was, if anything relevant in college basketball happens, I will be your guy. Come here, we'll talk about it. I did it three weeks ago, Shaden Sharp committed to the University of Kentucky. I did it two weeks ago when Chris Livingston, Shaden Sharp, by the way, number one high school player in America, Chris Livingston, the number five player in America, committed to Kentucky. I did it last week when Derek Lively, the number two player in America, committed to Duke. And I did it earlier this week when we started practice and I gave you the seven biggest storylines in college hoops going into the season. Well, we're talking college hoops again, baby, because since I last recorded, two different high school players, five-star guys, have committed. 
One is named Jaden Bradley. We will get into in a minute. The other, Nick Smith, a five-star guard from the city of Little Rock, the state of Arkansas, on Tuesday night. We'll get to Jaden Bradley in a minute. But Wednesday night, not Tuesday. I just said Tuesday. I know you, you, you caught me. I said Tuesday. I meant Wednesday. Wednesday night, Nick Smith, five-star guard from the city of Little Rock in a ceremony in Little Rock, Arkansas, made his college decision. It was down to the University of Arkansas, Arkansas Pine Bluff, Auburn, and Alabama. And on Wednesday, he made his college commitment. He is, of course, a guard in the class of 2022, which means he is going into his senior year. And drumroll, please. uh, Nick Smith Jr. committed to the University of Arkansas. And so let's get into the commitment and let's break it down. And first of all, what I would say is I don't ultimately think that this is a very shocking piece of news, okay? Nick Smith Jr. about seven or eight days ago announced the announcement. So he basically announced that I will be announcing on this day. And when he announced that his commitment would come on this past Wednesday, September 29th, uh, you know, seven, eight days passed and just about everybody, every piece of information pointed towards the University of Arkansas. I would add on top of that uh, that uh, apparently there was a video that leaked. I think it was from Sports Illustrated of him talking about his commitment to Arkansas. So I'm sure a lot of you saw that. I don't know if anyone at Sports Illustrated got in trouble. But Nick Smith Jr. is an Arkansas Razorback. And if there was any doubt that he was going to Arkansas, uh, I'll just tell you this. I tweeted it out the night that he announced the announcement. And I said he made a public commitment at a local community center in the city of Little Rock. No different than Moses Moody did two years ago, okay? Moses Moody, of course, now with the Golden State Warriors, was the SEC freshman of the year. And I'm not a rocket scientist. I don't claim to be a recruiting expert either. But when you are from the state of Arkansas, playing high school basketball in Little Rock, and you're making a public commitment in Little Rock and inviting the community, don't think you're picking anybody other than the state school. So Nick Smith Jr. is going to the University of Arkansas. Now, in terms of what kind of player Arkansas is getting, I'll say this. In the lead-up to the commitment, regardless of whether it was going to be Arkansas, Alabama, Auburn, Pine Bluff, I called a bunch of people that have played against him, coached against him, um, coached, I don't think anybody that coached him specifically, but I called some people to really get a scoop on who this guy is. Called three different people, and all three said the same thing. They said, future NBA player, probably a one-and-done. So you talk about a top 10 prospect that's probably a one and done. That is who Nick Smith Jr. is. And in terms of the scouting report behind him, what I was ultimately told was this, is that like I said, I do think he is a, I don't think, I know, 6'4 guard from the city of Little Rock. And so naturally he is going to be compared to Moses Moody, who of course was last year's SEC freshman of the year. Many believed he should have been the SEC player of the year last year, but he was the SEC freshman of the year. He ends up being a first round lottery pick of the Golden State Warriors. And Moses Moody, of course, played last year at Arkansas. And so it's natural to compare this kid to this kid, Nick Smith, to Moses Moody, who is six foot five, Nick Smith six foot four, six foot five range. And what I was told was this, Moses Moody is is and was an elite scorer, especially at the college level. Uh, Moses Moody, as I said, was the freshman of the year in the SEC, averaged almost 17 points per game. But what I was told was in many ways, Nick Smith is a more complete guard than Moses Moody. Might not average 17 as a freshman, 
but he is a guy that has the ability to do just about everything that you would want from a combo guard at this age, at this level, going into college basketball. He can handle the ball. He can play off the ball. He can shoot. He can score. He can penetrate. He can pass. And so you talk about, and I've talked about this a lot with the players that Arkansas has gotten, a new age guard that can play modern basketball, not only at Arkansas, but the next level. That is who Nick Smith is. That is what Arkansas got. And they got a top 10 prospect in the high school class of 2022. And the bigger picture, this commitment tells me a few other things as well. First of all, Eric Musselman has done a heck of a job locking down the state borders in Arkansas. And one thing you need to know about Arkansas I don't know where the pop. I didn't do enough homework. Okay, I don't know where the population ranks relative to other states, but Arkansas produces a bizarre amount of really good basketball talent through the years. Bobby Portis, Daniel Gafford, Moses Moody, who I just mentioned, two other players who played key roles on last year's Elite Eight team in Arkansas, who are both back this year: Jalen Williams, Devo Davis, both from the state of Arkansas. I'm sure there's other guys I'm missing. I'm sure there's other guys that I have not thought of. But the Malik Monk, by the way, Archie Goodwin, you go back three, four, five, six, seven years. Really good basketball players from the state of Arkansas. And Eric Musselman's done a great job of locking him up. Like I said, last year, I wouldn't say the three most important players on that Elite Eight team at Arkansas were Devo Davis, Jalen Williams, and Moses Moody. But they were right towards the top. I don't know if they were more important than Justin Smith or Jalen Tate. But they were really, really, really close. And so Coach Muss, Arkansas, Eric Musselman has done an incredible job of locking up the borders, keeping up the players that you need to keep in state to have success at the University of Arkansas. And it's worth noting, this is not the only elite player that is committed to Arkansas. On top of that, there are four top 100 players in the state of Arkansas in the class of 2022. Uh, Joseph Pinion, kind of a wing shooter. He is committed to Arkansas. Darian Ford, a kid that I saw at the Pangos All-American camp, committed to Arkansas. There's another kid who's committed to Oregon, but you're never going to bat a 1,000 in any kid that you want. I mean, even Duke, even um, whoever, Kentucky, Gonzaga, UCLA, they don't all get every player that they want. But to have three top 100, four top 100 players to get three of them, this after three con contributors, all freshmen on last year's Elite Eight team, Coach Muss and his staff are locking up those borders in Arkansas. Speaking of Coach Muss, I, I, listen, this is a huge win for him, and let me explain why. There was a really dumb narrative when he came to Arkansas from Nevada that he could not recruit or that he would not be able to have success with high school players. I always thought it was stupid when he was at Nevada. You know, listen, in full disclosure, everybody knows, but when he was at Nevada, I went to a couple of his practices, got to know him and his staff a little bit, really respect them, but this has nothing to do with that. But I always thought that was unfair because back then, this is just three or four years ago, but not many people were taking transfers, and I thought Coach Muss was really ahead of the curve as it pertained to transfers, and so why would you take a high school player at Nevada when you, you can get a fourth, fifth-year senior, grown man, 22-year-old, uh, at a school like Nevada in the Mountain West. You're looking for a kid that has had some success at the college level. It didn't make sense for him to recruit high school players. He had one big-time recruit. His name was Jordan Brown. It did not work out. Uh, Jordan Brown, for the record, and I'm not criticizing the kid in any way, shape, or form, is still playing college basketball, was at Arizona and transferred to Louisiana Lafayette. And so I just bring it up to say there was this notion that Eric Musselman could not or would not recruit high school players. Uh, I would say he's done pretty well so far. Moses Moody, SEC freshman of the year, lottery pick, 
Devo Davis, I think, is going to be really good this year. Maybe the SEC Freshman of the Year, or maybe the SEC Player of the Year, excuse me. Also, uh, Jalen Williams is a really, really good player. I would add they have another high school player who registered last year named K.K. Robinson, also from Arkansas, I think is really good. And then, like I said, three of four top 100 prospects in the class of 2022 are committed to the University of Arkansas, and we assume will sign here in this early signing period. Finally, what I would just say really quickly to wrap up is this. I think this recruiting class is a direct reflection of what happened last spring in the NCAA tournament. And I think, uh, you know, however long Coach Muss is at Arkansas, um, you know, is independent of the fact that last year's group built the foundation, right? Because it was easy to sell Moses Moody or Jalen Williams or Devo Davis on a dream at the University of Arkansas. It was another thing for those guys to come and execute that dream. And so you look at what happened last March, Arkansas making its first Elite Eight since 1995. You look at their success in the NCAA tournament, and now you're starting to see dividends in the high school ranks. And so I just think when we look back at the long-term, big-picture success of Arkansas basketball under Eric Musselman, I think it will all point back to last year, that Elite Eight run with, obviously, as I've said a few times, Moses Moody, Jalen Tate, Justin Smith, in addition to Devo Davis and Jalen Williams. Incredible commitment for the University of Arkansas. Top 10 prospect Nick Smith is coming. You got to wonder, too, it's going to be a heck of a roster that's around him when you start factoring in transfers, players who may come back, things like that. But this is a great, big, major commitment for Arkansas basketball. Nick Smith, by the way, not the only five-star guard to commit in the last couple days. It's crazy. When I published the last episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast on Wednesday, I assumed that this episode, we would talk a little college football week five, we would talk a little Nick Smith, and that would be that. Instead, we have gotten two separate commitments in the last 36 hours from five-star guards in the high school class of 2022. Nick Smith was on Wednesday night, and on Thursday, right as I'm getting set to record this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, I go on social media, and I see Paul Biancardi from ESPN says that Jaden Bradley, a five-star guard, again, high school class of 2022, originally from the state of North Carolina, now playing at IMG Academy, he is going to make his college announcement. And so I obviously waited. He was down to five schools, down to Alabama, Arizona, Gonzaga, Florida State. He also listed Kentucky. I'll be honest, uh, you know, Kentucky, I think basically, I don't think, I know stopped recruiting him about three, three and a half, four weeks ago when they got some commitments from some other players. Doesn't really matter because the bottom line is that Jaden Bradley is a really talented guard. On Thursday night, he makes his college commitment 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Mountain, 3 p.m. Pacific. And Jaden Bradley committed to Drum roll, please. And by the way, I promise I won't keep doing the drum roll every time a big-time player commits. But drum roll, he commits University of Alabama. Roll Tide. How about my boy Nate Oates? Nate Oates, friend of the Air Torres podcast, scoops up another five-star guard to play at Alabama. And so we'll get into Nate Oates in Alabama in a minute. But first, let's start with Jaden Bradley because I think he is a really, really special player. And it's interesting because I don't claim to be a recruiting expert. I don't claim to be a guru. But what I'll tell you is this. Based on what I've seen from the high school class of 2022, 
I believe this kid is actually kind of underrated as a fringe five-star that is ranked as a fringe top 20 prospect. I don't know who I'd move ahead of him. I don't know who I'd move behind him, all that stuff. What I am telling you is I think he is better than the 18th, 19th best player in the class of 2022, 2022 excuse me, according to 24-7 Sports. I really like this kid. He's about six foot three. He is listed as a point guard. ESPN has him as the number one ranked high school point guard in the class. But what really stands out to me in watching him is that like Nick Smith, who committed to Arkansas, he appears, in my opinion, to be a complete guard from everything that I have seen from him. He is a guy that's six foot three. And yes, he is kind of a point guard. He can create for others. He can distribute. But he can also do all the stuff that you need to be able to do in the modern era of college basketball. He can, yes, create for others, create for himself. He can also distribute. He can also penetrate. He can also pass. He can also shoot. He can also play off the ball. He can also play on the ball. And one thing that has stood out when I have seen him, and again, I'm not a recruiting expert. I'm not claiming that my uh, evaluation of him is the Bible. But he appears to really care on defense. And without criticizing other kids in other classes at other schools, I'm just saying we all know high school kids, they love to put the ball in the basket, but they don't always love to play on the other end. And Jaden Bradley is a kid that strikes me that loves to play on both ends of the court. And I think that matters. I really do. More importantly, what I think it also says, when I watch him play and when I see that he is committed to Alabama, you know what this says to me? He is a really, he is an Alabama type guard. And it's really funny, right? Because in college sports, and it's the same in professional sports as well, but, you know, we do this thing where we kind of, uh, you know, listen, we, 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 we use these buzzwords like culture and brand and style. And I think some programs do it really well, right? Like, you know, Arkansas basketball has a brand. Kentucky basketball has a brand. Um, I think Michigan basketball under Juwan Howard, Penny Hardaway, love him or hate him, they have a brand. But I do think sometimes it's overblown. The one thing you cannot say, Alabama basketball's brand is not overblown because we all saw it last year. We saw that Alabama has a very unique style of play and basically putting together the best season in recent school history, probably the last 30 years or so, basically since any of us have been born. Uh, Win the SEC regular season title win the SEC tournament, make the Sweet 16. And how did Alabama do it? We all know. We all watched. It is by having a diverse, unique, creative, playmaking offensive style. And what I mean by that is they don't play. This ain't 1984 anymore at Alabama, okay? They don't play a point guard, and then they play a shooting guard, and then they play a small forward. That's not what they do. Basically, if you want to play at Alabama, Everybody's got to be able to pass, dribble, shoot, create, score, penetrate, dish, kick, whatever. you got to be able to be a complete basketball player, and that is what this kid is when I watch him. And so to me, he strikes me as just a really, really, really great fit for Alabama. And sometimes we all know kids make college decisions, and you sit there and say, is that kid really going to fit there? I think this kid will thrive at Alabama. Really quickly, in terms of Alabama itself, they are on kind of an insane recruiting run that I don't think most people realize. Now, I mentioned a few episodes ago that we have started team-specific Twitter pages. 
for Aaron Torres Media. Torres on the Hogs was the first one. Arkansas basketball, Arkansas football, Arkansas athletics. We also have Torres on UK, which is going to be Kentucky. And we started Torres on Bama this week. And Torres on Bama, the Twitter feed, shout out to the guys that run that. Uh, my boy Bentley over there runs uh, Torres on Bama. He pu- they put out an incredible tweet after the Jaden Bradley commitment. Here are some of the guys who have played guard specifically at Alabama under Nate Oates. Now, it's worth noting the first guy I'm going to mention was recruited by the previous staff, Avery Johnson, but I want you to listen to what I am about to tell you and just take it all in. Here are the guards who have played basketball at Alabama under Nate Oates. Kyra Lewis, recruited by, Al- recruited by Avery Johnson, plays for Nate Oates, ends up being a 2020 lottery pick, okay? Joshua Primo, who played on last year's team, was a 2021 NBA lottery pick of the San Antonio Spurs. On this year's current team, Javon Quinterly, 2018 McDonald's All-American. Namari Burnett, who unfortunately had a season-ending injury, transfer from Texas Tech. He was a 2020 McDonald's All-American, was on this year's roster, is on this year's roster, but is unfortunately hurt. J.D. Davison, 2021 McDonald's All-American and Alabama High School Player of the Year. And now Jaden Bradley. That doesn't even mention Jaden Shackelford, who has been the team's leading scorer the last two years. It doesn't even mention Herb Jones, who was the SEC Player of the Year last year. doesn't even mention John Petty, who was a double-figure scorer for three, four, five years. Just under Nate Oates, they now have two lottery picks, three McDonald's All-Americans otherwise, and another five-star guard that is committed to Alabama for next year. That talent is unbelievable. And some of you guys are young, and some of you, I get it, right? Guys, girls, whatever. You're young, you don't remember. Alabama basketball has never recruited that kind of talent in my lifetime. And so to see them bringing in consistent five stars, consistent McDonald's All-Americans, some of them through the transfer portal, some of them through traditional recruiting. It is absolutely incredible. And again, it doesn't even mention some of the other guys that have played in the front court and on the wing and all that stuff, but just at the guard position, it is incredible. Finally, what I would tell you is this. I've said it for years. I started it before it was cool to talk about it. I said the SEC is in the middle of a basketball revolution. You can go back and find the tweets. I have been saying that for, I don't know, probably about three or four years now. And it goes back to a few years ago when nobody besides Kentucky and maybe Florida under Billy Donovan was good. And you started to see these coaches come in and you realize, wait a second, there's a lot of really good coaches coming into this league, which in turn are bringing a lot of really talented players into this league. Uh, it started with that first wave of coaches, Rick Barnes at Tennessee, Frank Martin at South Carolina, uh, Ben Howland at Mississippi State, Bruce Pearl at Auburn, then Nate Oates, then Eric Musselman. And now you look at the talent coming into the SEC right now. Listen, we had Arkansas and Alabama make the Sweet 16 last year. We've had Tennessee win an SEC regular season title in recent years. We've had Kentucky beat Kentucky one you know play or two away from making the Final Four back in the 2019 NCAA tournament, the last one played before this year. I am just sitting here to tell you, you can argue with me, you can debate with me. This is a I was going to say program. This is a conference that is on the rise, and it is a testament to the coaches in this conference, none more so 
than Nate Oates, who is an incredible shooting star in college basketball. He gets a commitment from five-star guard Jaden Bradley on Thursday night. All right. I think that is it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Who knew we'd be talking so much college basketball on a Friday going into the biggest weekend of college football? Who knew? Yet here we are. So if you're not subscribed to this show, if you don't appreciate that nobody finds that balance between college football and college basketball quite like your boy Torres, I don't know what to tell you. Before we get out of here, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really does help you to help us move up those iTunes charts. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres, Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Also worth noting, Aaron Torres Online. Aaron Torres Online is where all my writing is, including my college football picks. And as I said, team-specific Twitter pages. If you're a Kentucky fan, Torres on UK. Promise we will get that one launched soon as we figure out the final touches on that. Additionally, Torres on the Hogs. If you're an Arkansas fan, Torres on Bama. And some of you have reached out. We are working on other pages. Be patient. If you think you'd be great at running a page like that, make sure to reach out to me. Slide into those DMs, baby. But with that said, let's get out of here on this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrin Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out Nate Oates, Eric Musselman, five stars on five stars on five stars, baby. We will be back on Monday. Enjoy the college football weekend, baby. It is going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome weekend. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.